you're listening to The Interview. In-depth interviews with inspirational people. Hosted by Martin Popplewell. Brought to you by The Retail Exchange. Your industry podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest in the interview series from The Retail Exchange. I'm Martin Popplewell. And today I'm in conversation with Costa Coffee's global creative design lead, Adam Dunt. Coffee is very much big business. In fact, there's a good chance you're probably drinking one right now listening to this. For many, having a place to enjoy a good cup of coffee is seen as a vital part of daily and community life. One of the brands in the UK is Costa Coffee. It's a very different business to the one that started back in 1971. Today, it's grown to almost 4,000 locations across more than 30 countries. While there's an art to making a good coffee, there's also an art to creating a warm and welcoming space in which to enjoy it. But just how do you ensure that different spaces in different places truly connect with local communities? To tell us more about how the right kind of design can bring coffee culture to life in the physical retail space, and to discuss how the long-term effects of the global pandemic may affect future approaches to design, I'm delighted to welcome Adam. So, Adam, thank you for joining us. Most of us will be very familiar with the brand Costa Coffee on the street, but can you give us a short overview of the business and more specifically your role within it? Yeah, of course. So uh, Costa has been on the kind of UK high street since um, its early inception in 1971. So we've had a, you know, a, long, a long history in the UK. Started by two brothers, Sergio and Bruno, who arrived in the, in the UK from Italy. Um, they started their, they set up their microbrewery in Fenchurch Street. So they were the first microbrewery in central London. And then that's where they really uh, crafted the, the signature blend that we have in the stores at the moment. So 112 attempts to do their signature blend that we have in our store today. And that's really been the basis of how we are as a, as a company now. So based on their microbrewery in 71, um, they opened their first store in 81 in Vauxhall Bridge Road. Uh, which we sadly don't have in our estate at the moment, which is which is a shame. And then based on that, we've we've kind of grown grown exponentially from that first store. So at the moment, we we are just over three thousand eight hundred stores in over thirty two countries. Um, obviously, we've got our other channels, so things like Express and our and RTDs and at home. We were recently bought by Coke, so in the last two years, we were now part of the Coca Cola company, which has uh, has kind of grown our our foothold in the UK and other countries kind of exponentially, really. So, um, yeah, that is a very kind of brief, brief whistle-stop tour of the brand. One of the most important things about your brand, about indeed any kind of retailer, is the retail space design. Mm. Can you talk us through how that has evolved, where it's been, where it is now and where it's going? Yeah, so the, obviously, you know, the like I mentioned before, we have a, we have a huge estate um, in, terms of, in terms of physical stores. And I think you know we've had a we've had a long like I mentioned a long legacy in the UK um, with an incredibly loyal um, customer base, and that is really focused on predominantly been in um, physical stores when we when we first set out in the UK when we were part of Whitbread, um, and that's really migrated into like I mentioned before quite a lot of different channels, and they're starting to. To, to pop out in a lots of different ways at the moment. So, you know, physical stores have obviously been our our kind of core, I would say, and our core focus in retail. And they've started to shift into other formats. So we, we've recently um, launched kind of mini format um, stores, so smaller footprint stores 
in transit hubs. But like I mentioned before, we also have got a slight variance in our in our platform. So we have things like the Express, um, the Express machines that have, uh, are self-explanatory. Um, we've got the ready-to-drink cans in a lot of the UK um, supermarkets um, and other aspects of the brand. So it, it feels like we are migrating out. The role that I look after in the stores has, has changed, I think, quite significantly. So, you know, obviously pre-COVID, we have tried to migrate out of out of large spaces. So they, they were at one point quite cavernous spaces and we started to kind of shrink shrink the overall footprint of our stores down. The key benefit for us for that one is obviously we can we can look at slightly smaller format um, places, but also we can start to really drill down to the to what makes our cost of spaces special for our customers, and that's really a couple of couple of aspects. Um, it's trying to make them feel welcoming and and cozy and places where people want to dwell, even even post COVID. You know, we have we still have lots of people that do want to come into our stores and. What we try to do is to really carry on that that feeling of coziness and welcoming um, that really came from what the brothers did when they brought their brought their coffee over. So that's really started to develop in the retail space, um, both as our physical stores as our as our smaller mini formats that we've done as well. Uh, and that's really that's really started to inform what we do in certain areas as well. So I, I there's obviously lots more formats and propositions that are currently in development. But I think the the interesting thing is we've tried to keep that red thread of of coziness and and welcoming and and, and not lecturing our customers about coffee. Um, that's been the kind of red thread that we we try to keep through all the designs. So we're in a in a, an interesting scenario. So we have a we obviously have a legacy a legacy brand with a legacy customer base. We also have you know we also want to attract new customers to the brand. So we have we have customers at each end of our spectrum. We have a hugely loyal customer base, but obviously a a, a younger customer base that we want to pull in. So there's a there's an interesting challenge with that in itself. It's you know it's how do you how do you really innovate a brand and keep pushing forwards without alienating what is essentially our unbelievably loyal core? So that that is a quite a nice tension that we we started to work through in terms of design. But that red thread that we tried to pull through has always been about the you know the level of coziness, the level of welcoming that we can have in there, the level of the level of kind of human. I was going to say human contact, but <laughs> post COVID, maybe not human contact, but at least human craft that we can put into spaces. That's been really the driver in in what we want to do. What have you brought personally to it? What what are the things which we will see in the brand? or are seeing in the brand that are things that you have brought? Um, I think since my since my time in Costa, I mean, I've been in the business now for two years. I've always been a fan of, of trying to simplify design. I think it's one of those... It's one of those um, aspects that I think is sometimes overlooked. The easy thing is, and it's sometimes a, a kind of safety and numbers aspect um, in terms of design and wanting to layer things up and layer materials and layer finishes. Um, I, I've tried consciously to to try and strip back the design, not to the point where it becomes minimalistic, but to the point where it becomes, it, it's still a good solid canvas that we can build our brand on and hang stories on and start to welcome people into the space. But I think it's been a conscious decision for my side, at least, to, to, to simplify. Um, and that's across across you know propositions, across formats, but also on the aesthetic side, when you walk into the newer stores, there's been a you know a conscious decision to strip back on finishes. So 
we need to have confidence where we put things like our brand color we you know we shouldn't we shouldn't maybe shy away from using our red in larger quantities and larger spaces it just means that the knock-on effect of that is when you use something like a larger you know a larger expanse of our our brand color it means that you kind of you do need to sacrifice some other finishes around that to give that a sense of kind of clarity and a bit more confidence um, i think that's that's been the main thing um I think I've, you know, through my time in, in agencies like um, like Fitch especially, I think the idea of, you know, genuine consumer insight informing design has been something that I've been trying to champion since my time in Costa. Um, it was the kind of bedrock of what we used to do at Fitch. And it's one of those bits where, you know, if you have a genuine kind of golden nugget of, of customer insight and consumer data... It means, you know, translating that into a piece of design that really responds to a customer need rather than, you know, just an aesthetics um, project internally. That's been that's been one of the other key the key drivers for me. And I think it's one of those ones where, you know, getting to that piece of absolute raw data, if you can get that and it's a it's an absolute gem, then the transition into design really becomes quite a, a kind of self-designing process you know if you if you get that absolute gem at the start then the process to get to a creative outcome is so much easier and it ultimately you know it rewards you with something that is genuinely beneficial for the brand genuinely beneficial for the customer and it means that you can start to make those connections you know not only at a kind of transactional level which is you know obviously the commercial side of the business but for me much more at an emotional level with a customer base and I think it's that it's that emotional level that you know one I'm a, I'm a huge huge fan of trying to push for brands but also it's something that I think is is drastically needed in you know in the high streets and and on the in the shopping malls at the moment you know the emotional connection to brands from customers is is a is a key aspect so I think those are the those are the main things that I, I've tried to kind of push since in my time in Costa and I think those those changes are starting to to push through into into physical spaces that I think the the public are starting to see now um but obviously you know with a with a business our size and and part of things like a you know a rollout program to make those changes you have to almost kind of cascade them down quite slowly um because we you know we are quite a quite a large company so yeah th- those changes starting to come into effect and i think it's um the early indications are starting to be very positive and i think it's it is giving us a a cleaner palette and a cleaner platform to to start to sell storytelling but also to create slightly cleaner more um more well still welcoming but 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 ultimately um, warmer spaces for customers to either, you know, sh- in short dwell transactions or longer dwell transactions as as the as the economy starts to open up maybe later on, later on in uh, twenty one. How much does the localization and, and making a uh, a coffee shop fit in within the locality feature in terms of the way you approach design? Um, it's it's a great question, and I think. Our independent coffee shops um, that you see on, on on high streets obviously have a very a very easy way of turning that around and making them feel instantly part of a, a community or a you know a local village or a high street. When you're looking at a larger brand and um, the size of ours, it is a it is a tricky one to balance because obviously, like I mentioned before, there is a in the background there is a huge rollout program that 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 is rolling constantly that you know supplies. The business with new properties and new fit outs and, and the like 
I think from a design side, we've tried to as much as possible. We've tried to to give it a local a local feel. Um, I think if I if I had um, an, a never ending budget, then obviously I would like to highly personalise as many stores as I could probably get. And I think that pulls on that that emotional angle. If the more you can highly personalise, the more you can resonate on an emotional level with customers. Um, uh, you know, due to the size that we are, I think what we've done is we try to take a a slightly more macro view. So some of our stores in the central London uh, area at the moment, so namely Argyle Street, just by Liberties and Oxford Street, and then there's one on Great Portland Street, so about five minutes around the corner. They've started to localise in terms of illustration style and wallpaper design. So if people go to the, either of those stores, you'll see a it's a, a kind of a concrete effect wallpaper, and there's a, an illustration style on that. And that's basically all the illustrations that you see on that is our... Um, cost of coffee illustrations based around localized london landmarks um and it's again it's it's a slightly more macro way of starting to localize but then it, at least it feels like that store is is part of london maybe you know rather than just saying it's a kind of global finish that can go anywhere anywhere in the world and it's that type of approach that we we're trying to trying to adopt for a lot of the stores especially in our new markets um that we're looking at around the world so i wouldn't say it's 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 not as maybe personalised as, as many creators would want to do at that kind of minutiae level. Um, but I think we, we try to personalise as much as possible. It's usually through things like wall art, um, high-level comms, um, but there is an element of that. And I think you'll you'll start to see as as these stores come out a little bit more into the into the public domain, we'll, you'll start to see more of that kind of macro-level personalisation that would be the way that we would, we're probably going to go about things. What about the dreaded C word, uh, <laughs> the coronavirus? What kind of impact is that going to have, if any, in terms of the way that you develop and design stores? I think, you know, to, to, be, to be completely honest, it's, it's hits us like it's hits probably every brand um, globally around the world. Um, I think we've been we've been very fortunate for a couple of reasons. We have, like I mentioned before, we have a a fiercely loyal customer base, which has stayed with us pretty much throughout the whole coronavirus outbreak, which we are eternally grateful for. Um, we we have benefited from being a, a multi platform coffee offer. You know, we could still trade through other platforms. So obviously, we had the express machines that are self sufficient. They sit in petrol forecourts. They sit on you know train station platforms. They are you know they they are engineer um, updated, but they are they could they could interact and trade throughout the whole coronavirus. Um, we also had our drive through drive through lanes, which were again you know service through the window, minimal contact. Customers could stay in their cars. Um, and again, we, we we've developed at home products and the ready to drink cans that have been in our in supermarkets um, for people to take home. So we are, I think, we are very fortunate as a coffee brand that we've had outlets that means that people can still interact with us and we can still interact with people, be that in their you know in their home on their in their in their kitchen cupboards, but also through their through the drive through lanes and through the express lanes. Um, so that's been a, that's been a, an absolute godsend during the coronavirus outbreak. I think. Like many, there's been a huge amount of work done internally about the development of screens, the development of contactless payment, the looking at propositions where there is minimal contact between um, barista and, and customers, but we can still serve. So we are taking all of those things into account. I think going forwards, it's it's a, 
it's definitely started to to impact future propositions. So we are looking at different ways to create spaces that you know look at um, involving technology and digital means uh, more than we maybe currently do at the moment. Looking at interesting low contact formats potentially. Um, so it's it's definitely a, a huge thing that's on our radar and it is impacting the future design of of costa stores but again it's it's trying to wrestle with that tension that i mentioned before it's you know we have new customers that we want to try and capture and introduce the brand we have older customers who are fiercely loyal and now we have a third a third player in that game which is the um the COVID-19 problem. So it's trying to piece all those bits together that, you know, we can still provide great tasting coffee for everyone. You know, we want to attract new people to a brand that is exciting and innovative, but ultimately we want to do that in a safe way. So there's, there's three, those are the three kind of tenants that we're, we are, we are playing around with at the moment, but I think interesting challenges on a creative level. Um, but I think the, the initial, the initial pen to paper sketches and thoughts that we've had are incredibly exciting and mean that we are maybe we're maybe looking at different formats and different ways to to serve coffee that we wouldn't have looked at if COVID-19 hadn't happened so you know that it's pushing us as a brand to think in different ways um so I think that's that's definitely been a positive for us going forwards. I'm guessing the effect of COVID has also made getting a coffee a much more functional experience <laughs> yeah. rather than something that you 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 dwell on and enjoy in store is is that a fair summary of, of of the way that perhaps your customers are approaching? It's it, it is to a degree. Um, I think it, it you know it has become a bit more of a, a functional trade, um, and that's you know especially in places that are you know high high commuter levels. The people that are travelling into London, even though it's a, a reduced amount, are still seeing that on their journey. So they are seeing it as a you know a, a functional pick up and go. Uh, which is where I think stores like we have with Argyle Street, where it's a street-facing street facing pickup offer, so no one has to enter the store. That's where those stores have, have started to come, to come into their own. Um, the, the, the interesting thing we have started to notice is where you have almost this, um, this treat aspect for people at the moment. So people using Costa, so a coffee and a cake or you know, a coffee and a, and a, and a treat midweek or at the end of the week, almost as a, as a kind of reward, because I think people are, people are struggling, you know, working at home, people are uh, struggling day to day. So I think we have that dual aspect. So we have a kind of functional shopper journey, but we also have, we've retained that kind of treat coffee journey, um, which is, again, it's, you know, it's an interesting one to try and design for. So there is a, you know, a very um, linear customer journey in that functional approach but how do you keep that idea of excitement and innovation on the on the treat customer journey so that we we currently see kind of two separate separate missions at the moment can you just take us through your career i mean how did you get to where you are now what were the sort of the 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 key staging points along it uh, and some of the key influences on you i started my career um at dl and power um, who are uh, for people outside of the UK who maybe don't know them are a, a very very well respected retail agency based in London. Um, I had five five years at DMP and worked on a variety of projects, mainly retail, but brands that people you know are high street staples. So we did the the first iteration of Top Shop and Top Man in in the US in New York. We did the the first expansion of Primark into its European sites. Um, 
people like H&M, brands like H&M and RBS and NatWest. So they were the, they were the kind of lifeblood of what um, DMP did at the time. And I think I joined there as a, as a junior designer. So very kind of fresh and wide eyed to the world. And I think exposure to those type of brands at that scale, that early on in my career, definitely helped shape it. And at the time, I mean, Allen Powers has grown exponentially, and it's an incredibly successful agency. At the time, it was it was relatively small, um, so we used to have contact with the more senior players in the in the business, and we you know we spent a lot of time with David Diel, um, the owner, and I think you know spending time with someone like that who has the ability to distill a brand so quickly. Um, and also the ability to sit in a meeting and, and and hand sketch in front of a client and show them very, very quickly, you know, their ideal store or the dream that they had in their head is now a physical thing on paper. That that will stick with me, I think, until my career is finished. The, you know, the ability to be able to do that in front of clients definitely has has stuck with me since since I started there and has carried on to all my all the positions that I've held. So I think that's but that was a, a huge thing quite early on and then it was the, the the same the same type of key players when I moved over to to Fitch so I was at Fitch for I think about five and a half years um my my wife and I went traveling for a year that's how it was planned um around Asia and we ended up landing in Singapore and and both of us getting freelance creative jobs and then uh, the, the 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 year out ended up as five and a bit years and a and a child so we spent we spent more time in Singapore than we, we originally planned, but that meant that the the time in Fitch was again another invaluable another invaluable time. So, the time there was that was focused really on again retail design, but I think that's where that you know that deep understanding of consumer and consumer led design really started to take fruition. It's the like I mentioned before, it's the lifeblood of what Fitch do, and they're they're incredibly successful with what they do. Um, I think during that time, I was I was very lucky to spend, um, although it was only brief, I spent a, a short amount of time with with Rodney Fitch, who, for for people that have ever ever saw Rodney, ever met Rodney um, before he sadly passed away, will know that in terms of retail design, he was an absolute titan. There was there was there's very few people who have you know that knowledge and that passion about retail design. So to spend a short amount of time with Roddy was was fantastic. But you know, having ongoing contact time with with people like Tim Greenhall um from Fitch again has helped in, invaluably and and the he again had the ability to you know distill a, an idea down to a single thought so quickly that meant you could you could springboard into creative um, that that will again. That's always that's always stuck with me, um, and and you know that that really led on to 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 places like twenty twenty, um, which again it was it was less retail focused, more hospitality focused, and there we we spent a lot of time really. Although it was kind of hospitality focused, I'd say the bulk of the work that twenty twenty look at is is kind of trying to create the sense of belonging. And that's the only way I can really describe it. It's the, you know that the bulk of their work was for Premier League clubs, large sporting venues. So trying to create the sense of belonging for fans when they were in a venue, that really is the way I I, I always phrase the time that I was at, at 2020. So you know through kind of really deep storytelling, through creative experiences, creating that idea of 
of of fans belonging to a club or a name and a badge that was that was really the kind of crafting attached to that and and john john lee the creative director there is is a is a brilliant example about that you know being able to craft a a hugely emotive emotive story and as well as creating a beautiful storyline to it being able to drill down into finite detail um i i'm 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 always kind of in awe of how John can do that so quickly. So I think I think from a you know a personal development level, those are the those are the three key people I think have probably shaped shaped how I how I operate creatively. I think, and it's they're all kind of interlinked. From you know David being able to sketch and and create magic in front of clients' eyes to 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 Tim being able to distill ideas down to a really single thought and to John being able to craft really really beautiful stories and you know drill them down into attention to detail i think those are the kind of the three the three key people who have definitely had an impact on my career finally when coffee shops reopened after the initial lockdown there was almost a sort of a palpable sense of joy at people being able to go and get their favorite coffee again what would be your top tip for retailers seeking to be able to continue bringing that much needed joy back into the the physical retail space i think that's a a, a really really interesting question um for for me i think it does go back to this this idea of connection and and more importantly i'd say emotive connection um from from the from the items you know the articles that you read online to to snippets of news that you pick up on a daily basis i think the overall feeling of consumers is is people are you know people's morale is low people are quite fed up of maybe working from home or or worse in case they you know they're not working anymore so i think the idea of the idea of trying to create an emotive connection and and not trying to sell, I think the idea of kind of hard sell or to push onto consumers, I think we, you know, we as brands, we can't we can't really do that anymore. I think it's it has to be a, a much more of a emotive connection. It has to be a softer way of interacting. Um, it's an interesting proposition when you look at physical space. Um, I think it's there there are aspects of people's lives now that you know maybe weren't apparent. Um, six months ago, seven months ago. So a lot of people are working from home. You know, myself and my wife are both working from home at the moment, which is, which is good because we get to spend time with our family. However, it's you know it's it's challenging because we are we're both in separate rooms. We're both you know plugged into laptops for a, a vast majority of the day. So, what can brands do to help in in these new challenges that people are facing? So things like that as a, a more of a reaction to what is. What are problems that are happening in everyday life at the moment? I think that's where brands could steal a yard and maybe look forward to to pushing themselves into a space that is not just about selling, but is more maybe around service. Um, but I think the idea of how you sell that service and how you how you become a bit more of an emotive link with consumers, I think that's that for me would be the key. Adam, thank you for joining us on the Retail Exchange podcast. You've been listening to The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag retailexchange. Thanks for listening.